Vox Quick Hits. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. K-pop, short for Korean pop, is a huge deal. You've almost definitely heard of the boy band BTS. They have an enormous global fan base, and right now, their song Dynamite is everywhere. And back in 2013, Gangnam Style from Psy was inescapable. But if you think about it, beyond a handful of songs, K-pop isn't really on the radio. You don't come across it on a top 40 station like you would something from Harry Styles or Taylor Swift. And given K-pop's popularity and fan base, it's a little surprising. Even with the rise of music streaming platforms like Spotify, radio still matters for mainstream acceptance. And K-pop bands aren't getting it. Asia Romano is here to explain why. They're a culture reporter at Vox. This is Tell Me More. I'm Emily Stewart. So for people who aren't familiar, what's K-pop? K-pop means a couple of things depending on who's talking. To the average U.S. listener, you probably just think of it as meaning Korean music, Korean pop. The K is short for Korean, South Korean in this case. Uh-huh. But usually when we talk about the kind of music that's getting exported, we're talking about something pretty specific. Not always, but usually involving the main Korean pop studios, which is basically this elaborate system of two or three very corporatized studio systems in South Korea that have gotten very, very good at systematically finding and developing, training, and preparing pop stars for lives as what we call idols. I compare it to, um, you know, how the Mickey Mouse Club of the 90s turned out stars like Britney Spears and Justin Timberlake. And the Mickey Mouse Club served as sort of a both a talent scouting arena and a training arena for those stars before they became huge. The Korean K-pop idol system as developed by these studios is a lot like that. They start out training very young, they get scouted early, and they go through years of training and competing and performing. And so this whole system has become this very regimented way of creating music and creating this whole industry around these these pop stars. Yeah, so it seems like it's almost like, I don't know, the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC or, or Christina Aguilera or Britney Spears. <laughs> well, well, it's that, but it's ratcheted up to 11 and with years more training involved, with years more intense, uh, you know, hours and hours every day of studying dance, studying, um, studying language, studying how to present yourself on stage, just lots of different avenues. Uh, in, including you know, the actual singing lessons and, and performing um, and music making that goes into it. Um, so it's very intense. Obviously, K-pop is hugely 
popular worldwide. Like, I'm not a fan, but I'm very aware that it is a big deal. I mean, because I know BTS. <laughs> but I guess one of the reasons that I don't know it's a big deal is that it's it's not on the radio. What's going on there? Because if it is so popular, why am I not hearing it on, like, Z100? That's such a good question. And I think the the answer is really complicated, and it has to do with a lot of things. But really, the role of radio in the U.S., you know, we hear it every day. It's such a ubiquitous part of our lives. And in many ways, radio is kind of like this gatekeeper that we don't maybe ever really think about in terms of what gets heard, what gets valued, um, which kind of pop artists are seen as having, you know, name recognition, right? You hear them on the radio, so they must be good, right? But in reality, U.S. radio has been waning as a platform for musicians for years, maybe even decades, um, because as radio has gotten more corporatized and the internet has allowed more people, more platforms to distribute music through, more people can choose to listen to music in many, 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 many different ways. So the way that K-pop has really become globally recognized is largely on the internet through streaming, especially in the U.S. Because it's not getting played on the radio, it creates this kind of catch-22 where radio DJs and, and music programmers on radio stations are reluctant to, to play this music because they think it won't be commercially successful because it's not getting played on the radio. You see how that works? Right. It seems too risky to put on, therefore you don't take the risk, kind of. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but why is BTS the exception, right? Like, everybody knows that Dynamite song. It is literally everywhere. <laughs> Right. So here's the thing about BTS. They worked for years to, to crack the Billboard Hot 100 and then to crack the top of the Billboard Hot 100. This was a strategy that they had in place um, and carried out for literal years. And I, I watched them do it for literal years. Um, their first couple of songs released with heavy marketing in the U.S., really got them legions of new fans in the U.S., you know, and they were mostly popular through uh, YouTube videos and so forth. And they would get some radio play, but but it was mostly, like, they were considered a novelty. But this kept happening, you know, it happened with their single DNA, which I think came out in 2017. <laughs> It happened again with their single Mic Drop, which they collaborated with Steve Aoki on. And then they had their single Boy With Love, which they collaborated with Halsey on. And so they kept doing all of these really high-profile collaborations that would get them some amount of radio play because the DJs would want to play these other artists, right? Mm -hmm. And so they kept doing that. They kept recording songs in Korean, which is always a big hurdle for them because they really, really wanted to chart on the Billboard Hot 100 without singing in English. So last year, they released a song called On. And they did it with this giant marketing push, probably the biggest marketing push that they had gotten up to that point. You might have seen them perform on at Grand Central Station last year. They are a groundbreaking global phenomenon who are here in Grand Central Terminal tonight for a historic performance, performing on from their new album, Map of the Soul 7. Give it up for B. 
and brought up this giant marching band and performed the song. It's a really, it's a spectacle of a song. And so I think they were hoping for that to be like their big, let's see if we can actually get a song to top the chart without singing in English, basically. So they did it with all of their fans just streaming constantly, which is another part of this because their fans just do this like it's their job. When they release new singles, the fans are trying so hard to get it atop the charts that they that they do everything they can to stream these songs over and over again on all platforms because that helps boost the numbers if you're looking at billboard metrics and stuff. But they only got to number five when they when they finally tallied everything up. So after that, Columbia, BTS's US distributor, did something pretty unprecedented. And it basically put out a call to songwriters to commission a song for BTS entirely in English that would be like a bright, fun summer bop. But the key here is that it had to be entirely in English. And this is the behest of Columbia's CEO, right? Basically saying, if BTS is going to do this, they need to be able to sing in English because that's the only way they'll get radio play. And so what happened when that when the song was written, Dynamite was written, Columbia sent out this press blast to all of the radio stations. And in the very center of it, you had all the blurbs about the band. And in the middle of it, you saw entirely in English, like in giant font. So, so there was this very, very targeted push to get PTS on the radio with a song that had lyrics all in English that radio stations would actually play. Uh-huh. Of course, when Dynamite finally debuted, it got tons of radio play right off the bat. Columbia just like really, really put a lot into distributing it, more so than it had with any other BTS song. And then, of course, it debuted at number one on the Hot 100 because fans were still streaming it just as much on the internet as they had all along. And after that happened, ever since then, BTS has not only gotten more radio play, but it's had four number one singles in a row. And right now, their latest single, Butter, is, is all over the place. Smooth like butter, like criminal undercover. Don't pop like trouble breaking into your heart like that. It's been number one for the last seven weeks in a row. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. I kind of want to talk a little bit about why radio stations don't play much K-pop, if any at all, again, beyond BTS. And I know we kind of got into this a little bit about that they're, they're risk-averse, obviously, but there's more to it, right? There is and there isn't. To some extent, all of this is just garden variety xenophobia, I want to say. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that in BTS's case, Columbia finally really gave it a unique and targeted, very directed marketing push. I think having your label be in your corner is pretty crucial here, right? And a lot of K-pop artists just aren't looking for that because they feel like they don't need it to be successful. They they don't need to waste the resources to get on American radio that might not happen anyway. So instead, they're focusing on streaming services. They're focusing on building their fan bases around the world. They're focusing on, you know, doing Korean competition shows that are super popular in Korea. And so they're just looking for other avenues. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of different factors that I think come down to context. But I also think, too, radio stations are, I want to say, increasingly obsolete (laughs) in terms of what they play and how many people listen to them and how they attract viewers. And that's not all entirely their fault, but I think the the corporatization and consolidation of, of radio really, really has made it harder for many, many artists to break through. And I think 
this is a problem that doesn't affect just K-pop, but many, many emerging and international artists. Right. I mean, for years, Latin music had a really hard time breaking through, for example. Right. Until we all like Despacito. Right, exactly. Until Despacito. Despacito. And now you see Latin music being played much more often than you did before. But again, it's like with Dynamite. Like, Despacito had to be the song that broke that barrier. I think it all sort of comes back to this idea that quote-unquote top 40 American radio has always sounded a certain way, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of the top 40 stuff still sounds the way top 40 sounded 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, 30 years ago, right? And a lot of that is just due to radio's reluctance to change or reluctance to take risks, as you said. I know I read your story on this, and it mentioned that sometimes even something from Taylor Swift that's a little bit too folksy might scare some radio hosts away. Right, exactly. I guess then my question is, you know, why is radio even important then if people are kind of streaming? Like, why, if you're BTS, do you care? You know, for BTS, they they said for years that their goal was making the Billboard Hot 100, and they knew that they couldn't do that without radio. I think for them specifically, they saw both the Billboard chart and radio play in the U.S. as being like the last bastion of global success. Like, it's really for many people you know, getting number one in the Billboard Hot 100, it's as high as you can go, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's a nostalgia effect there. There's a a prestige effect there. You know, I think part of it too is just um, about acceptance. You know, like if you you get radio play in the U.S., it's a sign that the average U.S. listener has had a chance to listen to your work, hopefully without any prejudice around it, you know, as they're driving down the street on their way to work or whatever. And and they like it, you know? And I think that that idea is basically something that appeals to a lot of mm-hmm. people, no matter where they're from. So now that BTS really has broken through, does this pave the way for more K-pop in mainstream U.S. music? Or is it just a blip? I want to say yes, but the entire premise of this article was based on assuming that it had paved the way for more K-pop. And then when I actually looked at the metrics, I was just stunned to see how little K-pop was actually getting played on mainstream radio stations, right? So I think possibly, but I think you need, again, specific targeted pushes from labels and distributors to really make it happen and to put the music directly into the hands of of open-minded music programmers to start. So hopefully if we see more of that and we see labels just keep going and keep trying to, to do sort of marketing directly to their fan bases so that their fan bases make noise, you know, that's pretty much how BTS got there. And it took years and years of work to lay the foundations for it. But hopefully for future bands, it'll be easier. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're a K-pop fan. Yes? I am. I've been listening to (laughs) K-pop since about 2005 or 2006. Got it. So if someone is kind of curious about this, Beyond, like, the one BTS song that I know. So I guess if I'm curious about this, where's a good place to start if I want to kind of see if I'm into it? I'm going to be very, very biased here because I actually curated a a guide to the essential K-pop songs of the last two decades that I made with uh, Charlie Harding from Switched on Pop last year. And so if you want to look it up, it's on Spotify. It's called I Am the Best K-pop Playlist. And it's basically just a list of 100 songs that I consider to be really both very important in terms of the the history and influence of K-pop 
and or just songs that I really, really loved too much to leave off the playlist. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll drop that into the show notes, too. Excellent. Thank you. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure, as always. I'm Emily Stewart, and this is Tell Me More. This episode was produced by Sophie Lalonde and engineered by Paul Mouncey. You can find more stories from Vox in the Vox Quick Hits feed wherever you get your podcasts.